Apa yang kita dengar mempengaruhi kita. Firman Tuhan berkata, iman timbul dari pendengaran akan firman Tuhan. Karena perkataan-perkataan firman Tuhan adalah roh dan hidup. Selamat mendengarkan sharing firman Tuhan yang dipersembahkan oleh Indonesian Family Church Perth, Western Australia. Morning Church. I just got to say, every time I come up here uh, to, to preach to you guys, every time I get to worship with you all, you guys are so good. I, I enjoy the worship with you all with the Lord so much. And Mr. Andoko, man, you got soul. I love it. You got soul. So, church, if you have your Bibles with me, would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6? Now, we're looking at the end of the chapter. I'll be reading two verses for you. Verses 20 to 21. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. So, if you have it with you, I'll, I'll read it, if you don't. It says this, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge. Verse 21. For by professing it, some have swerved away from the faith. Grace be with you. Now, I'm going to be concentrating on the first verse, which is, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And so I want to title my sermon today, Guardians of the Deposit. Guardians of the Deposit. But before we dig into it, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll guide us. Send the Holy Spirit to help us understand this passage and implement it. To be transformed into the likeness of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember the first time I got my license. I was pretty young and on that particular day I was feeling quite adventurous after I got my license. So from the suburb where I was living in, in Nala, I wanted to go to the Gold Coast. Now that's one hour's drive. And so I'm like, I'm feeling adventurous. I can do this as long as I follow my friend's car. Now, back in those days, there was no GPS. There was no Google Maps. And if you know me, I'm super bad with directions. I can't read that, that book. I don't even know what it's called anymore. Yes, yeah, street reference. I can't even read it. I'm, I'm just really bad with directions. But I thought, as long as I follow my friend Hugo's car. And if you also know me, how could I say it? I'm prone to be distracted. I'm prone to lose my attention really quick. So what happened was, without any suspense, as I was following Hugo's car, guess what? I was distracted. By what? The lights. It's not like I haven't seen street lights before, but they were so bright. I was driving and I was looking at the lights instead of the road. That's how bad I am. And also, what you need to know about me is I'm really bad with cars. People would tell you, if you ask them what car they have, they would tell you the model or the brand. Now, model and brand means nothing to me. So if you ask me what car I drive, I would say a blue one. And so I was following Hugo's silver car, and I was looking at the lights, and then it dawned on me. The trip from Inala to the Gold Coast should only take one hour. This is three hours already. Wait a minute, that's not Hugo's car. I followed the wrong silver car. 
And I was there, and I remember back of my time of wondering and wondering. I was, I was gutted. I was asking myself, how did I get here? Why did I become so lost? What's going on? I, I, this wasn't planned. This isn't the place I'm meant to be in. Interestingly enough, Paul to Timothy, he warns Timothy that we are also prone to do this spiritually. We are prone to be where we don't intend to be spiritually. We're prone to deviate. We're prone to swerve. And even though it's a little bit, before you know it, you're somewhere else where you, sh- you shouldn't be. And you'd be saying to yourself, maybe relationally or professionally, I didn't want this. Notice how Paul says to Timothy, he's a preacher, he's a pastor, but he's not exempt from this. He also says in verse 21, Paul doesn't say, many have professed this and have lost the faith. Many has left the faith or abandoned the faith. No, no, he says, many have swerved from the faith. It's not like many of us go, God, one day you wake up and you say, God, I'm sick and tired. I'm going to leave you now. I don't like you anymore. I'm going to live my... We don't normally say that. But the language here that Paul is using is more subtle in nature. How often do we get so far away relationally from God? How far sometimes we feel so detached from God, so emotionally, so spiritually far away from Him. Paul is saying it happens very subtly. It happens discreetly. It happens quietly. Where you just swerve. Not turn where you just deviate a little bit and before you know it, you found out that you're not in your right destination. For example, if you were going to take a plane from Perth back to Indonesia, Jakarta, wherever, that's the only place I know besides Bali. <laughs> you need, some, some of you need to take me back to Indonesia. Anyways, if you're going to go to Perth to Indonesia, if you're going to fly to Perth to Indonesia... And if the pilot is only one degree off from his destination, his course destination, so when the plane starts, he's one degree off, you think you'll get to, to Indonesia? No. You'll be far off away from your destination. And what happens? It was only that one degree of fault. That's what happens to us spiritually, regularly. Now, my old blue car, when I was first driving it, I thought it was a normal car. I thought it was a beautiful car. It was, I love that car. But for some reason, my car liked to swerve to the right. So I always, when I'm driving, I always have to keep my hand on the wheel because if I let go, it would just go to the right. And I thought that was normal. It was my first car. I just saw my license. And so I'm just driving. And, and I drove like that for a year until my dad borrowed my car. And after he got home, he went up to me and he says, Dexter, your car's retarded. And I'm like, Dad, you take that back. You take that back. I love my car. What happened was I then got Angel, that's her name, that's my car's name, to the mechanic. And this is what the mechanic says. It says, your car needs a wheel alignment. That's why you keep swerving to the right. So I got my wheels aligned and went straight again. Do you tend to swerve spiritually? Maybe your spiritual wills are not aligned. Maybe they're just off by one degree, just a little bit. But you've got to fix it right or else you will be in a place where you don't want to be. And then Paul, he tells us the secret 
how not to wander, how not to swerve, how not to deviate. He gives us the secret today. And what I find it interestingly enough in, in Paul in the first part of Timothy, his climatic conclusion, notice how he says, Oh Timothy, oh Timothy, it's, it's like father to son. Listen up, guard the deposit. He just tells Timothy, this is, is pretty much his final words in this letter. Guard the deposit. Now the word guard is not just for us to check on, in on it once in a, in a while, like when you call a friend just to check in on it, hey, how's it going? It's, it's not like that. Now this word guard, it means to obsess over. It means to keep watch over it. So uh, some of you know I became a father one month ago. Um, when Ariel was born in that hospital, my daughter's name's Ariel, she's a little baby. When she was born and when the doctors first lifted her up and when I first saw her, you know what I did? This is what I did. Ah! I screamed. I was like, I was just shocked because it's like, oh. And I thought she was a boy. But it wasn't. It was her umbilical cord. Because we didn't know the sex of the baby until she was actually born. And I'm like, oh, okay, she's a girl. And when I held that little pebble in my arms, I kid you not, this is a true story. This is, these are the very words I said to her because something within me, there's this instinct of guiding her. There's this instinct of defending her. There's this instinct of protecting her. I was saying, hey, Ariel, daddy's going to never let anything happen to you. Daddy's always going to protect you. And then he's going to keep all the boys away from you. <laughs> True story. That's exactly the words I said to my daughter. Now, church, how you guard the gospel, is like, how you guard the deposit is exactly like that. Or even more so. You keep a careful watch over this deposit. You be protective over it. Now, who, who this year watched the World Cup? Any World Cup fans? Okay, I see a few, I see a few. Now let's watch some videos of the best saves of the World Cup. Church, you guard the deposit, like how goalies guard the soccer ball from coming into those nets. What these goalies would do in a professional World Cup match is they would put their body on the line, which means they would use their hands, their feet, their face, or even to block the ball. They'll use every 
part of the their whole body is a sacrifice to stop that ball from coming into the net. You guard the de- the gospel, the deposit, like how you guard like goalies. As you saw in that video, there was this guy. He he, he reached out and he could have banged his head upon the pole, but no, he he still jumped anyways. You guard the deposit like that. Now that begs us the question: What is the deposit? Now, if you were listening to me, I kind of slipped my mouth a few times. So essentially, what is the deposit? It's the gospel. Yes, Mr. Handogo, you are on fire today. (laughs) Paul says, guard the deposit. He goes on to say, basically, if you don't guard this deposit, if you don't guard this gospel, what actually happens to you is you will deviate, you will swerve, you give into a way of thinking, you give into a way of living that will bring you away and far away from the living God if you don't guard it. Now this gospel, this deposit was what made Paul turn from Saul the thug to Paul the apostle, from villain to Batman, and he's chosen Timothy as his robin. The gospel It is good news. It is the truth. It is God's word. It is Jesus. Keep guard of the gospel. Make your life about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't simplify it. Don't confuse it and complicate it. Keep it for what it is. Orientate your life around Jesus. You're serving, you're loving. Orientate it around Jesus. If you keep it about him, you know what? You won't never be far away from your God. Guard the gospel. Now, I've talked to many people, and I've been to many churches, and, and I know a lot of Christian friends, and I ask people, what do you think makes a good church? Because they came complaining to me, at the church where I'm at, I feel so lonely. This is a bad church. And I'm like, why? Because I feel lonely. I just don't fit in. I feel that this church doesn't have much fellowship. And not IFC. IFC is awesome. IFC, IFC is awesome too. But they're complaining about their church. And I ask them, so what do you think makes a good church? And they say a good church has to have good fellowship. I'm like, man, yeah. That's a good thing. But that's not the most important thing. To be honest with you, you can find good fellowship at the clubs. Now, when I was in high school, still in high school, I went to the clubs. Ooh, chess club. <laughs> I did it casually. <laughs> you can find good communities in cycling clubs. You can find good communities in, what you call it, any guilds in university. You can go to that, and, and you can find a community. So, fellowship isn't the most important thing for a good church. So what is a good church to you? Now, I'll say some of the popular answers that I've heard. Some said a good church has to have good music. You guys have that. You guys are awesome. When they walk in these doors, some people judge a church, if it's good or not, by their stage. If there's light, if there's smoke machines, if there's lasers. Some people think that a good church has a good pulpit or no pulpit. Some people think that a church has to have a good preacher or how old the preacher is. 
is determine how good the church is. Or if the church has good parking space or good chairs to sit on. Now this is the most popular one. Now some people think that a good church simply has good-looking boys and good-looking girls. Now according to this, if it's on looks, then IFC, you are very good church. Because I look down and I'm like, man, you guys are so handsome and so beautiful. You guys are aesthetically pleasing. But there's really only one basic essential thing you should be looking for in a good church. That is, a good church is centered around the good news. And how they handle the truth. And do they live by that truth? The church is the guardians of God's words. The guardians of the deposit. Now, I stole this sermon title. Well, what inspired me was the movie Guardians of the Galaxy, a Marvel movie. Now, in this team, they had quite a weird bunch. They had a human, they had a green chick, they had a blue dude, they had a raccoon and a tree. Now, that's a very, very weird, odd team. Now, what makes up the guardians of the gospel? Who's in our team, church? It can be anyone. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter your age, your culture, your age, or your gender. It doesn't matter. What past you have, God has given you a second chance, and he wants you in his team today. This place, this church, we are the guardians of this deposit. We are the guardians of of this gospel. Now let's look at Michael Jordan. Now he's one of my favorite basketballers of all time. But Jordan. Michael. Blocked inside. Here comes Chicago. Not in my house. I, I think he was a little upset that there wasn't a foul called on that last shot attempt. It looked like Artest got him on the wrist, but Jordan comes out of nowhere. It's a running start and just ties, catches it with both hands, pins it on the board, and brings it down. That is a remarkable play. Standing ovation for Michael Jordan. There's a saying, be like Mike. Now be like Mike when it comes to guarding the gospel, guarding the truth about the Bible and, and God's words, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you guard it like that. Where you stop all heresy, where you stop all idolist, godless chatter, where you stop all funny things, where people say Jesus is just a prophet, where Jesus is, is just a man. No, no, we stop all things like that from coming into the church. Guard the gospel like that. Now, if you're a basketball player, what the commentator said was, not in my house. Now, if you play basketball, sometimes when you get rejected or sometimes you reject people, that's how these basketballers trash talk each other. Not in my house. Be like that. When these weird theology, when these weird doctrine come into our church, we say, not in God's house. 
not in our house. We guard the truth of the Bible and God's words like that. That's how we guard it. And also the garden, guarding the truth is not a matter of just right interpretation, but also right living. I see the seriousness of this because martyrs, they guard the gospel. They, when a gun is pointed to the head or when a sword is to the neck, they, people say, deny Christ and we let you live. And they say, no. And what happens is their blood spills on the ground, paying the price for the name of Jesus. And yet we have Christians here, living here, who say we're Christian, but their life doesn't show any evidence. It does not hold up in courts. There is no fruit within their lives. Now one day, me and my two best friends, we went to Sydney. And we got hungry as teenagers. And there in the distant horizon, we see a big, big sign. It says, Sydney's best dim sims. And we're looking away and we're Asians and so we're doing the mathematics. Oh, I think it's three kilometers. Walk away. But it's a big enough sign for us to see it. It's so far away, but Sydney's best dim sims. A huge sign. And so you know what? Me and my friends, we decide, okay, we're going to journey. We're going to go there. And so we walked there took us ages, and when we got there, what we saw was a huge sign, and underneath that sign was a small store. We walked into that store, and you know what the dim sims were? They were frozen dim sims. I'm like, Sydney's best dim sims. I think not. Now, that place had a big advertisement, but did not deliver. We as a church are the embodiment of Jesus. We're a sign that points people to him. Yet if our life doesn't show him, then we misrepresent him. We are falsely advertising him. Now that's a huge crime against God because to misrepresent God is for people to look at us and they think that our Jesus is a bad Jesus. That's a huge crime. Now if you profess the Christian faith, And if you say you believe in the gospel and you hold up your Bible and you wave it around, yet you live a life in violation to everything that the Bible says, then what you are doing is you are deviating. And before you know it, you are so far away from your creator. Guard the deposit. Also, when Paul says this, it sounds like money, doesn't it? He's using money terms here. And if you were thinking banking deposit, you are correct. Because here in the, the Greek, it speaks of a considerable sum. Guard the wealth. Guard the treasure. It has a connotation of that. Guard that huge wealth. Now, like treasure, you just don't leave it around. Now, if I leave my mobile phone in Jakarta, just lying around, do you know what? When I turn around, it's not going to be there anymore. That's what I heard. (laughs) I don't know if it's true. You just don't leave gold lying around. Why? It disappears. No. With valuable things, you you store it up. You put lasers around the place. You, You hire some armed guards. You protect it with your life. Guard the deposit. Because what Paul is saying is, you know the gospel? It's true wealth. It's the true treasure. What I'm not presenting to you is the prosperity gospel, no. 
there's a lot of bad connotation with the prosperity gospel. But what I'm here to tell you is that the gospel, simply by itself, is true prosperity. It is true prosperity. Paul is trying to frame for Timothy this definition of wealth, how he sees money. It has to be seen through the lens of the gospel, which ultimately is the ultimate treasure and wealth. Why the gospel is wealth? Because what money cannot do is buy you a healthy soul. It cannot buy you a peaceful soul. It cannot buy you a restful soul. It could not buy you a fulfilled soul. It could not buy you a saved soul. So Paul says, God, the greatest treasure that has ever given on earth to you. Because if you have the gospel, you don't need wealth and health, or more health or more wealth. If you have the gospel, you have everything that you need. You have exactly everything that you need. It is sufficient. It is enough. You don't need more because you have everything already. You have everything already. You have Jesus, and He is everything already. And you might be wondering why, if, if you hear me preach a lot, if you go to OC, after the end of my sermon, I'm always bringing any story back to Jesus. Now, why do I do that? Some people have come in and commented, Dexter, you should preach more about prayer. Or Dexter, you should teach more about marriage. Or Dexter, you should talk about the end times. Why do you keep going to the gospel? And, and my reply to them is, hey, if you think the gospel is 101, entry-level Christianity, then you're on thin ice. Because everything in our faith hinges around this gospel. Why do I preach the gospel all the time? It's because I believe that if the people here really understood the gospel and really let it sink into them, you know what's going to happen to their prayer life? It's going to change. They will know that, knowing that God didn't even withheld his precious son and gave them to us, how much more would he give us that that we have a good father who doesn't withhold anything from us, who wants to give us, their prayer life will change. With marriage, if you get the gospel, then you will change in your marriage. There will be a change in your marriage. The husband would be more sacrificial. Why? Because he looks at Christ. And what did Christ do? He paid his life for the bride. And so automatically you become a more sacrificial husband with parenting. You look at how the father treats us and you will parent differently. With the end times, I haven't preached about that specifically, but the end times, I can't give you the exact date because no one knows the exact date and if they claim that they know the exact date, they're lying to you, they don't know. I don't know the exact date But what I do know is that knowing the exact date won't save you. What I do know is knowing exactly what Jesus has done for you, that alone saves you. So you've got nothing to worry about if you believe that God has sent Jesus to die for you, that Jesus loves you, that he's willing to forgive all of your sins, and if you put your trust and your faith in him, 
You will be with him in paradise. Today, if he comes back today, you will be with him today. If you go home and some accident happens to you, you will still be with him if you get this. Paul says, guard the deposit. Now church, if you guard it, what's actually happening is it's guarding you. You get that? It's guarding you. It's guarding you. Jesus is the one who protects us. Jesus is the one who has a keen eye on us. Jesus is the one, like the goalies, let nothing comes to us. Jesus is like Michael Jordan who rejects anything that comes towards us. Jesus is the gospel personified. He is the living gospel. He is what the gospel talks about. He is the very centerpiece of it. The gospel put on flesh and walked this earth. And I know that your theme for this month is to love, to help others. And you know what this gospel did? He came to earth and this gospel served. This gospel loved. This gospel healed. This gospel gave. So much so that he gave his very own life for you. God, the deposit. God bless you, church.